What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Andrew Ivins, joined as always by my partner in crime, David Lake. Uh, hopefully today we are not as dejected. Uh, I think that's the, the word someone gave me. Uh, following our instant reaction podcast on Saturday after the Clemson game, um, I'm no longer tired. I'm recharged. David, what about you? Yeah, I'm recovered from the uh, the road trip to South Carolina. Um, you know, I, I rewatched the game when we got back and got some thoughts. I'm with you. The energy's going to be up. We're gonna, <laughs> you know, we're gonna keep it real, but we're gonna try and keep it positive too. So, um, you know, let's get into it. Yeah, um, I want to shut the door on the Clemson game. Get into a little Pittsburgh and then maybe talk some uh, recruiting on the back end of the podcast. So that's kind of the outline for today. Uh, before we get into it, we thank everyone that subscribes, listens to the podcast, leaves reviews, and more importantly, anyone who uh, is a member of uh, InsideTheU.com. Yes. Uh, you know, that goes a long way. Um, it allows us to do cool things like go up to Clemson, um, yes. stop on the way and hit some high school games. So that is much appreciated. Um, so thank you, the listeners and, and all those subscribers. Okay, David, you rewatched the game. Um, just give me, I don't know, one, two, three takeaways. Like what is your big thoughts after you got a chance to kind of break down the film? Yeah. So I don't know if it's, if it's necessarily anything we don't already know. Right. But so the, the first thing, honestly, that stood out to me is, So going into this game, Manny Diaz made this clear, made this a key talking point going into this game. The the point of, uh, is Miami ready for this stage against this type of team? And, you know, it took basically Clemson having two possessions for that answer to be, no, Miami was not ready for that stage. They weren't ready for that moment. Why do I say that? Uh, Miami's defense, you know, as we know, allowed or was called for, for penalties, uh, kind of unforced errors, in my opinion, on, on each of the two drives, Clemson's first two drives, um, which allowed, basically, you know, Miami's defense did its job. It, it essentially got off the field or was in a position to get off the field. And, you know, those penalties let Clemson off the hook. And when you do that to a team like Clemson, they're going to then go score on you. And that's what Clemson did. Uh, You know, the offsides penalty by Quincy Roche, extremely unfortunate. Um, You know, that that was kind of like a a microcosm of the entire game, in my opinion. I mean, I think if it goes – and I I like wrote this down when when it happened. I'm like, if this goes the other way – it probably changes the entire trajectory of the game. Yeah. And, and, you know, the disappointing thing about that, and look, if you break down the play, right? So Quincy Roche is undoubtedly offsides. It's, you know, it's by four inches or so, but he is offsides. And the crazy thing is, and look, I understand, like, he's trying to play the cat and mouse game with Trevor Lawrence. He's trying to show like he's coming. But on that play, he is dropping back into coverage. So it, it's, it does make you want to pull your hair out that the guy who's dropping back into coverage is called offsides. Um, you know, that gives Clemson life, uh, gives them a first down, and they go down and score a touchdown. The second drive um, that Clemson had, you know, Trevor Lawrence is scrambling. He's, he's in that kind of one-on-one situation coming down the alley. And he goes down to slide, and Amari kind of gets nudged towards Trevor Lawrence. But, you know, Amari Carter is putting himself in a compromising position. Uh, you know, he's a guy that has this reputation of being a guy that commits targeting penalties. And, you know, he did touch Trevor Lawrence's head uh, as he was sliding down. So that's going to be an easy penalty all day long. Amari Carter cannot. Amari Carter is smarter than that, right? Like he, we've discussed, like he is arguably the most intelligent 
player on the team. We need that intelligence to tr now translate onto the field and, and have that awareness uh, that these targeting situations are something that he just needs to avoid. Like the give and take of delivering a big blow or giving a targeting penalty, he just needs to, to you know, stop trying to give big blows, essentially. Um, so, and that play extended a drive because yes, I mean, Trevor Lawrence did get the first down when he was scrambling, but on that play, the left tackle was called for a holding penalty. And so it, it would have backed things up. It was already third and long. It would have been like third and 20 ish, third and 18, something like that. Um, if Amari Carter did not commit that targeting call, and you would hope Miami could get off the field if Clemson's facing a third and 18, third and 20. So, you know, those, those, those first two drives by Clemson kind of set the tone. And, you know, it extended drives. It allowed Clemson to put together long, sustained drives. You know, we talked about in the Instant Reaction podcast how uh, Clemson just owned the time of possession, 12 and a half minutes in that first quarter. Uh, you know, what does that mean for Miami's offense? It means Miami's offense couldn't have the ball, didn't have opportunities to generate explosive plays, uh, didn't have an opportunity to get some tempo going and wear down Clemson's defense. Um, and so, you know, it, in I guess the big picture sense I'm trying to make is in a big game on the big stage, Clemson came out, was, was pretty clean with their execution. They played complementary football between their offense and defense, and Miami did not. Um, you know, and it started on that defensive side. Again, I don't want to put it all on the defense. Miami's offense still needs to come out and put something together themselves. Um, but if you look at it with how the game progressed, Miami's offense was put in a pretty tough situation with, you know, being down 14 to nothing rather quickly. Um, you know, in the second quarter when Miami got their second possession on offense and it's like, okay, you, you're kind of at a point where you have to start chucking the ball to get back in the game. Yeah. You can't really Clemson, run it. Which Clemson knows, like Clemson knows this. And so it just makes things harder when Clemson know, like has an idea about what is going to come for the rest of the game. So we can get into other details too, but those are like, honestly, that first quarter, kind of told us all we need to know. And it, it's disappointing because, look, I don't, think, I don't think you or I think, like I, okay, I'll speak for myself. I didn't necessarily come away from that game thinking, wow, Clemson can just physically overwhelm Miami. Clemson's better. I'm, I'm not saying that. But I do think Miami has the ability to make that game more competitive if they come out and execute and don't make, uh, you know, unforced errors. Right. Unfortunately, Miami did that. And, you know, Clemson is going to make you pay every single time and you're not going to be able to get back in the game. I had this a little bit further down on my notes as a question for you. Um, are you buying, is this a product of another slump coming out of the bye week which, um, was right. the case last season. I know someone asked Manny Diaz that on Monday's Zoom call. I don't know who. Um, I just saw the transcript. He did not seem to be too happy about that question. Sure. So do you think this is a, you know, or it could be a combination of things. Do you think it's, you put it on um, the team not being prepared or just miscues or they're going up against probably uh, a generational quarterback playing at home in what was kind of, I'm not saying it was a hostile environment, but it was loud. I don't think Miami had experienced that all season. And that kind of just contributed to it going up against, you know, like running into a buzzsaw. So are, are you putting this yeah. on the bye week stuff or like, look guys, I mean, they're playing a team who hasn't lost at home in four years. I lean more towards the latter. Um, you know, the bye week stuff is interesting, but I don't like in the context of this Clemson game, like I don't think you can say Miami lost this game because of the bye week. Now, if you want to have a more nuanced conversation and say, okay, 
did Miami, like, why didn't Miami come out and play better? Like, why, why did it seem like Clemson was the team with all the wrinkles, you know, and Clemson did not come off a bye. Whereas Miami, you know, Miami did a couple trick plays. um, But overall, it seemed like Clemson was the one who was doing things to dictate on both sides, offense and defense, where Miami had to continue to react to what Clemson was doing. Um, So I think that is a fair conversation to have. But do I think uh, the bye week loss uh, trend is, is applicable to this Clemson loss? I would probably say no. Like, you know, you and I both thought Clemson was going to win the game. Um, right. So, uh, you know, I, I guess if you thought Miami was going to win, then maybe you, you might believe that. But right. I no, think- I just like here, here's it to me. Like, I don't think Miami came out flat. I think Clemson just said, look, we're pretty dang good. We're going to hold the ball for 12 minutes and you're going to be down 14 zero and kind of figure it out. I agree. Right. And, and so I think the, the flip side would be, okay, still, why wasn't Miami able to execute better? Um, because like I said, like these errors were like Amari Carter, you need to know, like we discussed it in the podcast leading up to the game. You need to know you cannot commit a targeting penalty. Uh, yeah. He committed one and it extended a drive and it took him out of the game, which then thrust a freshman into the game. Uh, Ja'Kai Clark, like, why are you getting false start penalties um, on the first two drives of the game and third and long situations? You need to play cleaner. Um, Quincy Roche, you're a fifth-year senior and you're lining up offsides on a play where you're dropping back into coverage. So these, I think that it is a fair conversation to have, but look, Miami, it was going to be tough for Miami to win that game anyways. I think if you want to say, why didn't Miami play better coming off a bye week? I think that's a fair conversation. Derek King, you texted me this on Monday when you're doing the rewatch. You, this is not on him, is it? Like, no. And Manny made that pretty dang clear in the post game. Like you can't point the finger at number one. Um, Correct. just your, like, what did you think of him after you got a chance to see it? Right. I would just say that, like, imagine if Miami was playing that game with Jaron Williams or Nikosi oh Perry at quarterback, it would have been a disaster. Um, you know, De'Ara King, he, he had a, I would say there was a couple balls that were on him and, and you know, the, the worst one in my opinion was the Will Mallory interception. Yeah. There were, you know, that ball should have been outside towards the sideline. You also got to realize, though, it's, it's also raining. Right, right. Which, yes, that is a factor. Um, and, you know, at that point in the game, De'Ara King is just trying to chuck it, trying to, you know, have one of his receivers make a play. Um, but that was a, ball, a bad ball by De'Ara King. But overall, you know, he had – I will say this, honestly – the 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 pocket he had to work with for the majority of the game was a decent pocket by the Miami offensive line. I think to start the game it, it wasn't great, but the line kind of rebounded and got better as the game progressed. And he did have some pockets. Now he delivered balls that were dropped. He threw plenty of of you know 50-50 one-on-one balls to the outside receivers. And they looked horrendous, you know, trying to win those matchups, coming back to the ball. Uh, you know, they just look like wide receivers who don't understand how to do that right now. So, um, you know, I think if you wanted to fault Derek King, like if you really wanted to nitpick him, you could say, okay, a lot of his balls on those, on those 50-50 balls, a lot of them were short. But, I mean – if you watch college football around the country, you take those chances all day and all over the country, receivers understand how to at least draw pass interference penalties during those, those type of throws, which Miami did do a couple times. Um, but it was just disappointing. Like the D Wiggins interception in the end zone, like 
I don't know. You, you gotta, you gotta look more athletic and you gotta try and come back to the ball and, and make a play. Um, you know, there was a shot to Mark Pope where you would like to see Mark Pope fight for it a little more, but honestly, I think Clemson's corner made a freaky athletic. Oh play. yeah. Was that uh, Andrew Booth who did that? Yes. Yes. So yeah, that was unreal. If you was, haven't seen the clip, it's like on Twitter. It's insane. Yeah, it was ridiculous. So, okay. You know, look, I, I think the King, and of course the only time they could really move the ball was when he scrambled. Um, I think the King did what he could do again. There was a bunch of drops, which I mean, what do you, what do you want the King to do about that? Um, so no, I don't put the game on him at all. Um, you know, did he necessarily play great? No, but, um, you know, he wasn't the reason why they lost at all. Um, so everyone wants to talk about the wide receivers. I think in the instant reaction podcast, me and you, uh, we're pretty, pretty harsh on them. And I, I think that still the takeaway is these guys just aren't generating separation. Like that right. is, that is the issue. And it must be noted that while Clemson's secondary might be a little young or just the entire defense in general, like they are mm-hmm. still very talented guys. Um, right. But what do you do? Like what, <laughs> like what does Miami do? Um, I guess moving forward at wide receiver. The question I, I had written down for you is like, does Brian Hightower change anything? Uh, like the, is he getting open? Uh, on, would he have been open on Saturday? So here's the thing. I think there's two different conversations to have with this um, because there, in my opinion, there's two separate issues going on with the wide receivers. Number one, to your point, is the separation point. Um, you know, like I said, there was times in the game where the pocket was fine. Derek King had plenty of time to throw, but guys were not getting open. Um, and so he had to take sacks or try and scramble, et cetera. So that's one issue. And, and to that point, I don't think like a guy like Brian Hightower is ever going to be a guy who necessarily creates uh, a ton of separation when running routes. But the other conversation I think to have is look, um, the blueprint is out in terms of like how you can potentially frustrate this Miami offense, you stack the box, stuff the run, play one-on-one on the outside with these receivers, and you force Derek King and these receivers to win some of these downfield throws. Um, and in that regard, do I think Brian Hightower could help with that? Yeah, I think he, he brings some contested catch ability in that regard. Um, I don't think, like D. Wiggins has a nice skill set, in terms of a six foot three guy that, that can run fast and always, always catches the ball like in him. Like, yes. I don't think I've ever seen him. I can't recall at any point in high school or seven on seven tournament or a camp where he got good. Well, he will turn position his body and go over someone. Right. He's kind of like a, you know, catch and stride type of guy, if that makes sense. Um, and then, you know, Mike, Mark Pope and Mike Harley, I think their issues, honestly, are they just aren't very strong. They aren't very physical. And so yeah. it, it's kind of easy. And you could honestly probably say this about D. Wiggins, too. You can bump these guys off of their spots and, you know, it's kind of game over. So in that regard, would Brian Hightower help win some 50-50 balls? Yeah, he probably would have. Now, would he be on the field? I don't know because – like I said, like he's not a guy that can really get much separation, in my opinion, when running, you know, various routes. Um, so what would I do? I mean, I think like you alluded to, like it is worth noting that Miami's not going to see many secondaries or defenses in general that are as talented as Clemson. So can Mark Pope, Mike Harley, D. Wiggins win matchups against some of these future uh, secondaries they're going to face? I think so. Um, but I, I think it is now worth time. It, it is now time to devote uh, some snaps to guys like Michael Redding, who's a true freshman receiver, and Keyshawn Smith, another true okay. freshman receiver. So, so, so you're, you are for 
not like a youth movement, but you, you're you ready at this point. Rotating. You got, you got to see more. Yes, you got to rotate those guys in, you know. And again, what? I know it is high school. I know it's high school. But I went back and watched, you know, the high school highlights of both these guys. Both those guys show the ability to win contested catches. And again, it's high school. It's a much different level. Um, but they at least show somewhat of an understanding about how to work back towards the ball or position yourself to win these one-on-one matchups. Um, so, you know, look, I think the key now for, and this isn't just at receiver, this is at other positions, which we'll get into further in this podcast, but my Andy Diaz and, and the Miami coaching staff need to do a good job of towing the line of, Hey, we still believe that these veterans give us the best chance to win today, but we also need to develop the younger talent uh, during the course of the year because, you know, let's say Miami gets another shot at Clemson in the ACC championship game, which is the ultimate goal for Miami this, this season, which is still an attainable goal. You know, they're going to need these young, you know, in my opinion, these young receivers to develop during the course of the year uh, because that's what it's going to take to beat a team like Clemson. Um, so look, I'm not saying like Michael Redding and Keyshawn Smith are going to come out and start this Pittsburgh game, but like maybe get them 15 to 20 snaps on offense and maybe, you know, give them a, give them a shot or two during the game and see what they do with it. Are you officially off the Mark Pope uh, bandwagon? It, it- do we leave yeah, that comes in? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. You know, it's it's a it's a tough realization, but you know, it is what it is. I honestly too, I'm I'm kind of disappointed that we haven't seen more from Jeremiah Payton. I, I was just um, gonna bring him up. I don't get that yeah. one, man. He's another guy. I mean, he in high school he showed the ability to make contested catches too. He was um, awesome. Like, remember, like seven on seven tournaments. He was just like, you're like, what? Like this guy, yeah. and it wasn't like Mark Pope just bombing guys, but he would go up and over people. I remember we were in Orlando at that pylon seven on seven, and it was like, oh my god, it's so easy to see why Ron Dugans and Todd Hartley. So maybe you should shift the bandwagon from Pope <laughs> to, to Jeremiah Payton. <laughs> just yeah, um, you know the thing I find interesting with Jeremiah. They, they aren't really using him much in that deep shot role. So he might be another guy that they, they could use in that way um, and see what he brings to the table. The thing with him that I've noticed for the first four games is like, for whatever reason, him and Derek kind of struggle to be on the same page. Yeah. Like he's always cutting off routes and Derek's throwing the ball in a other space um there's just something off between those two in terms of having the chemistry and rapport so it maybe if that gets right maybe jeremiah can be the guy we're we're just we're talking about last thing i'm going to say on receivers and this is more of a recruiting slash roster management um thought process you know i went through kind of like the past few cycles and i was like all right what receiver could miami have gotten that would have like been a dude against Clemson and make plays. And like, I couldn't really find one guy um, aside from George Pickens. Uh, Everyone, even I forget that he took an official visit to Miami. Like, Oh my gosh, how much would, how nice would it have been to have him? I mean, any, any team in the country could say that, but uh, I, I think Miami just needs to start trying to find a, not like a different level of receiver, man, they need someone to hit someone that can be, a wide receiver one and I'm eventually going to write this, but like, I think this receivers class that is currently committed in the class of 2021 for Miami, like these guys need to hit like Romello Brinson needs to be someone that can win a 50, 50 ball. And I think me and you both agree like Brashard Smith's eventually going to be an upgrade over like a Mike Harley and, and probably Jacoby George too. But the one guy for me, like Miami just absolutely needs to kind of be something I think is Romello. And I think there's a chance he could be based on what I've seen. And, you know, it seems yeah. like we've said this about every guy, but uh, that's, that's certainly a storyline or something to monitor 
over the next eight, 12 months. I mean, once these guys get on campus, like are, okay, are they for real or what? Right. I think the, the fair expectation would be Ramelo, you need to be that X receiver. You need to be that contested catch guy. And then Brashard Smith and Jacoby George, you need to be the separation receivers. You need to be able to get open running routes and picking up yards after catch when you get the ball in space, which I think is fair expectations for all three of those guys. Now, is any of them like a dominant, dominant uh, game changer receiver that's going to make a difference in year one? I would pump the brakes on that, but they are all very good. I like all of these receivers they have committed. And, you know, if these guys keep playing the way they're playing, the guys currently on a team, then though, you know, these commits are definitely going to have a chance to come in and earn some early playing time. So we'll see. I, I think too, real quick, you know, if you think about it, one of the trends of the last, I don't know, two or three, four years is, is you can judge a team by how good they are by, you know, what are the dudes they bring to the table at receiver? So like Alabama obviously has transitioned now into being like wide receiver university. Um, you know, Clemson has done that for a, dec- a decade now. Uh, Ohio State is always churning out excellent wide receivers. You mentioned George Pickens. You know, Georgia has some quarterback issues, but George Pickens is, is still an X factor as a receiver that can always win his matchups. So, you know, Miami needs to start getting some of these guys um, at wide receiver and on the recruiting trail. And, and, you know, hopefully it pays off if they do. Um, guy, I want to ask you about Gilbert Frierson. I think yeah. he was what Miami's top graded performer, according to pro football focus against Clemson yeah. all over the field, um, or the yeah. turnover chain once Mr. Three Oh five. I looked it up and out of all power five linebackers, I'm going to put that in, you know, quote linebacker unquote, you know, I don't know what you consider Gilbert Frierson. He's just like a hybrid type dude. He's like graded out this season as the sixth best linebacker at the power five level. That's played like a minimum of a hundred snaps. So he's playing really, really good right now. Um, Yes. And, you know, I think it's kind of funny because there's plenty of people that bash Miami for always recruiting strikers and all this stuff. But um, I I think Bubba Bolden was the story of the game for Miami on defense, maybe Jalen Phillips as well. But like Gilbert Frierson, take a bow because he, yeah. Um, he's exceeded expectations for me in this role. Like I never really initially got it. And I think he's playing very well. Agreed. And, you know, in the uh, initial reaction podcast, I was remiss to not highlight him as a player who played well against Clemson. He definitely did. Um, like you said, he was all over the field. He, he was excellent in coverage and, uh, you know, he was one-on-one on an island with, with Travis Etienne and, you know, he played with poise, knocked the ball away. He made tackles in space. You know, that position is a stressful position. It, it's a tough position to play. And Gilbert so far through these first four games has done it at a high level. I, I was a Romeo Finley fan. Um, you know, I thought he was a little underappreciated, but, you know, I think it's it's pretty fair to say like Frierson has taken the striker position to another level uh, this year. So, and, and look, I think if you big picture wise, um, the way Frierson Gilbert has responded to being pushed by Keontre Smith is impressive as well because there was a time where it was looking like Keontre was going to overtake Gilbert as the starting striker, as the main striker. Um, and Gilbert kind of stepped up and made sure that didn't happen. So credit to Gilbert. Um, you know, Keontre still, in my opinion, he's a good player too. Um, and so right now that, that striker position is in good standing. Well, I mean, Gilbert's going to have to play all of the first half against, uh, yes. Pittsburgh because Mr. Keontre got a, I don't know. I think out of all the targeting calls this season, that was probably the most question the weirdest one it's the weirdest one but Um, i guess letter of the law it is targeting i don't know yeah i don't know i don't get it okay so like kind of shutting the door on clemson shifting now talk about one more thing okay 
linebacker. Well, that was going to be my like my transition. Okay. But, okay. I mean, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go, go ahead. Give me, give me, give me the film review. I know we kind of like in the instant reaction podcast kind of dogged Miami for playing Corey Flag, but upon the rewatch, it seems like you know he did some things There's something well there. There's something there, right? Um, especially if you compare him to the starters. Um, you know, Zach McLeod and Bradley Jennings are, are running around like chickens with their heads cut off too much. Um, they're, they're slow to make their reads. They don't take very good angles. And they, you know, particularly Zach struggles to get off blocks. Um, and it was bad against Clemson. Uh, on the flip side, and look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, oh, Corey Flagg was a stud, but you can see how, if you watch the game, Corey Flagg reads and diagnoses things much quicker than Zach or uh, Bradley Jennings. So, Which is, know. take like a step back, like, yikes. I mean, right. I know, I know right. Zach's an easy guy to cheer for, um, but dude, you're what a fifth six year senior like come on man right it's disappointing um you know for those reasons you said so you know Cor- speaking of Corey though like he is the middle linebacker right so he's backing up Bradley Jennings um and you know look Corey there is some limitations there physically but he does have some instincts which, which put him in position to at least affect the play uh, whereas Bradley, like he does, like when he is in the area to tackle a guy, he does a good job of tackling. But, um, you know, it, it can be hit or miss at times in terms of his ability to get in position to make that play. So, um, you know, on Monday, Manny Diaz and Blake Baker both were very high on what Corey Flagg showed during that game. They kind of hinted at, you know, we're going to see more and more of Corey Flagg. So uh, I'm interested to see how this goes. They also hinted at we're going to see more and more of Sam Brooks. They, they kind of made it clear that we haven't seen more of Sam to this point because he's been dealing with some sort of foot injury and he's kind of mm. rounding the corner um, with getting healthy with that foot, I guess. So expect to see both, you know, it – I'm curious to see, like, is it going to be 50-50 splits now between Corey and Sam and, and Zach and Bradley? Um, because it seems to be trending that way, but but we'll see. Um, Manny brought up on the Zoom call he had Monday um, while discussing playing young guys. Mentioned Malik Young and, and Joe Jackson as guys that played early on. Was that in reference to... Corey flag or how, yeah or, or is that just like broad generalized statement yeah I think it was in reference to Corey well no it, I think it was like the are you willing to go young right and then yeah he was like you know we're we're going to play the best the players that give us the chance to win there's no seniority here we've shown that because we've played you know the guys you reference so it was a big broad question and then later he was specifically asked about Corey Flagg and, and he had high praise for him. Okay. Um, another thing that came out of Monday's Zoom conference still seems like the battle at left tackle is, is unsettled. Um, yeah, and I don't, know, I don't know if that's because of... Injury? Know, Man- yeah, I don't know. If, like Manny's not going to tell us injuries this year and, and like we, we can't go out to practice and see who's practicing you know, during these COVID times. So it, it might be more of a, an injury issue because John Campbell got banged up uh, at the end of the Clemson game. So it might be more speaking to that. Okay. Did, did we ever figure out why Jared Williams wasn't in initially on the first so, drive? Or was he dinged up? Or what, what, what happened there? When you watch the game over again, like the first play was a disaster by the offensive line. And I think he just got yanked. So I think Garen, you know, Clemson blitzed, brought pressure. It was a bust by the right side of the offensive line. And I think 
Garanjustice thought it was Jared Williams' fault for what happened on that play. So he yanked him, you know, had him watch from the sidelines for the rest of that series and then put him back in. Okay, final thing for me on on the Clemson game and the Monday Zoom calls. Uh, you heard from Rhett Lashley. What did you come away from that thinking? And and what I guess what did he say? He was pissed. Uh, he <laughs> good good. He, yeah yeah. He really didn't want to talk about that Clemson game, uh, which I understand. You know, he basically would kept saying, you know, we got whipped in every regard, and he took blame himself he says i got whipped as a play caller like i need to do better job as a play caller quick interjection would would dan enos take that same same route no no not that kind of guy um but yeah rhett um and and mark richt wouldn't have either but uh rhett lashley he 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 referenced specifically he he thought he could have called some better plays you know at the end of the second quarter and at the start of the third quarter, he thought he didn't really get into specifics, but I get the sense that he thought um, he, he played a little too conservative at those stages of the game. And he, you know, when he rewatched the game, he got the sense that he could have sparked some things maybe with some different play calls, uh, maybe a little more aggressiveness. And so he, you know, he thought he failed in that regard, but you know, he, he was accountable for the poor play of the offense. And, uh, you know, just in every regard, he was like, it, it wasn't very good. So well, he's good. pissed I off. Mean, he wants know. to, uh, bounce back against Pittsburgh and, uh, we'll see how it goes. I got one more question for you. Okay. Ja'Kai Clark. We, we referenced him, right? Oh my God, dude. False starts all over the place. Uh, You know, there was a key fourth and one, I think, in the third quarter uh, where they handed the ball to Jalen Knighton, and it was a tackle for loss. It was, you know, Ja'Kai Clark kind of got blown up on the play, right? So I guess I'm asking, what would you do? Um, Would you stick with Ja'Kai? Because Garen Justice has been quick to make moves um, to the starting lineup all season. I mean – I don't want to get like too, not 10 hat, but okay. So you pulled Jared Williams because he had a bad play, but you didn't pull Ja'Kai Clark at, at, at any point. Look, Miami has a, not a serviceable guard, but you do have an option right there. Usman Torore, who played week one against UAB. Um, so I would start maybe going 50-50 there. I know you want to see what they yeah. can do with Jalen Rivers. And I don't know if you roll him out against Pitt. Um, we'll get into that after the the break. Pitt's got a very good defensive line. That's kind of like their uh, their thing. Um, but maybe you know you you try you start to try and figure out other options. We're seeing some of these other yeah. freshmen like Corey Flag. You know Corey Flag. I'm assuming made some progress over that bye week. And you got to remember Corey Flag got he actually he didn't get any spring practices. A, a weird. No off-season conditioning. So I'm, I'm thinking maybe this is kind of the point where these freshmen could be taking uh, the next step. So, yeah, I'd be very interested to see um, in Jalen Rivers. But, you know, I, I – you, like, you would have to rotate him in. I'm not, like – I'm not doing the freshman thing, like where freshman's always the best player. Um, I'm doing it because I, I'm, I'm viewing it through the lens of this is what it takes to beat Clemson. And Ja'Kai Clark is, is limited, right? Like, let's just be real. He's limited physically. And if, if you're going to line up and, and compete with a team like Clemson, you need dudes. And Jalen Rivers is six foot five, 320 pounds, pretty athletic. Um, state champion. State champion in shot put. Also played basketball, 84-inch wing. Uh, football tracking has him as the most athletic player on Miami's roster. I was looking this up this morning because someone was uh, – made it made a statement yes he is he's uh he's pretty dang good um so it's it's about developing him during the course of the year similar to what i said about the receivers get him reps and you know if you get clemson again in the acc championship game then you have a guy like jalen rivers which in my opinion you know the upside is much better than a guy like jakai clark so if your goal is to beat clemson which should be the goal 
these are the, the type of moves you have to make during the course of a season, in my opinion. Okay. Let's take a commercial break. We've already gone very long here. It's um, all good. Coming up on the other side, we still got more to go. We're going to get into a little Pittsburgh talk um, and then talk a little recruiting. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, David, uh, Miami going to take on Pittsburgh this upcoming Saturday, a game that's going to kick off at noon on a television network that less than 20% of people in South Florida get. That would be the <laughs> ACC network. Um <laughs> Like, I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to watch it. Like, I might actually just go to Hard Rock Stadium just so I don't yeah. have to, like, hook up some YouTube TV. I've already used my YouTube TV trial. I'm, like, Oof, texting okay. my brother about what to do because he's, like, a YouTube TVer. Um, but let's, let's kind of get into this game. Me and you both mentioned in the Instant Reaction podcast, this is, like, gut check week for Miami. Um, we're yeah. going to know a lot about year two of the Manny Diaz era. I think after this game, this is a, not a letdown spot. Oh, well, I guess a little bit, but they can't come out it flat. Um, opening line, 10 and a half points. I'm going to be honest. I haven't looked now. Me and you were a little surprised about that. Like I thought, I think you asked me, yeah. I thought it'd be like three points, maybe four or five. Um, so odds makers liked Miami early. I guess, what is your, what are your thoughts on that? And, I mean, let's be real. Like, this is not a good matchup for the Hurricanes. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. Um, I'm looking at the spread now. It's still at ten and a half. Um, I would have. I was surprised that it's that big. I I think like seven kind of makes more sense to me. But I could see why you know it's fair to think it's going to be a tight game. Why is that the case? Uh, because Pittsburgh has a very good defense. Um, it's probably not quite as good as Clemson's, but it is, it's right there. Um, it starts up front. Their defensive line is excellent. I think you could argue their starting four defensive linemen might be better than what Miami saw with Clemson's starting Jesus. four defensive linemen. And they had, a guy, they had a guy opt out, right? They did, yeah. So it, it could have been even better. Um, now Clemson has more depth on the defensive line, but, uh, Pittsburgh's starting four is excellent and, you know, they're going to play the same style that Clemson played Miami. They're going to stack the box. This is what Pat Narduzzi does. He, you know, he's not just going to do this against Miami. He does this every single week, stack the box, make you win on the outside. So in that regard, it's a significant test for Miami. And to your point, it is an extremely dangerous game. Um, one player, I guess, is, is there a player we need to know for Pitt? Um, I think the two guys in the secondary, that's the other thing, like Pittsburgh's secondary, you, you mentioned the game plan is out now for how to beat Miami, stack the box, make the receivers win one-on-ones. Well, it's not like Pittsburgh has a bunch of chumps uh, on the back end. I think Demar Hamlin's a, a very talented corner. Right. Paris Ford, like those are NFL guys. Um, right. Anyone else that jumps out to you? Well, they're two edge rushers again. Do, go into their D line. Um, you know, excellent. I think one of the guys. I forget which one. It might be Weaver or it might be the other one. But they have a guy leading the country in sacks with seven. Um, so. Rashad Weaver? You know, yes. I, South it's Florida either, native, it's, right? 
Right. Weaver's having a good year. I'm not sure if he's the guy leading the team in sacks or if it's the other guy, but um, they have someone leading the country in sacks. And, you know, it's going like, here's the bottom line with this game, right? If Miami can't score more than 17 points, which is what it did against uh, Clemson, it's going to be a struggle to win this game. Uh, Pittsburgh has only allowed one team in regulation to score, uh, you know, 30 points. Boston College got 31 against them in overtime. Um, but, Dude, you know. Pittsburgh, and, Pittsburgh and they, leads, leads the country in sacks with 25. Next closest team, Clemson, 18. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, look, I will say this, though. Like, if you – so they've lost two tight games, right, these last two weeks, uh, NC State and Boston College. The one common trend in both of those games was the quarterback for NC State and Boston College went off. So they both threw for over 300 yards, and I think they both threw for three touchdowns. So, you know, they were able to make this Pittsburgh defense pay for their style of play. Will Miami be able to do that? That's going to be a, a significant question. Um, Patrick Jones Jr., or the second, excuse me, is the guy who leads the country in sacks okay. uh, for Pittsburgh 7. I, I, I just think didn't Weaver, to... Weaver has them in pressures. Okay. Weaver has four and a half sacks, which is sixth nationally. I didn't want to be like that bad podcast where they're like just mentioning a guy and like didn't bring oh, up his yeah. name. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're excellent edges. They're both like 6'5", 270. Like, they're both NFL guys. So, you know, Miami's O-line's going to have its handful again. So is this like another Derek King's going to have to, you know, be Derek King? Like, in the Clemson so. game, what, what was the over-under on rushing yards? It was like 56, and I'm like, yo, the over here, I'm feeling it. And he got <laughs> like 54 on one run. Um, right. It seems like it's I guess if you're Miami like okay like at least you got him um you know yes. like you you have it's like you mentioned how bad it would have been for Miami if Nikosi or Jaron was was the quarterback like dude can you imagine it being one of those guys being the guy that's going to start this week well yeah I mean going into Pittsburgh last year uh, Jaron Williams was out here skipping practices. So <laughs> I think we know what that looks like. Um, but yeah, I, I look, I still think Miami is a better team. I still think Miami should win this game. Um, but again, if, if they, if the offense can't score more than 17 points, you put yourself in a position to lose to anyone in, in modern college football. And yeah. if this team is not able to put the Clemson loss behind them, it's gonna be, it's it's gonna be a tough game. Just to clarify, the offense only scored uh, ten points. Oh, you're you're exactly right. So even worse, yes. Yeah, so seventeen okay. points on the scoreboard, but offense only got ten. Let me let me ask you this: Does Miami get four touchdowns against Pittsburgh? Offensive. Um, I'll say yes. The. Well, I think the fact that you have to think about it shows right. that this is going to be a tight game. The number is 30. Can Miami get to 30? That's, that's the number. Can Miami get to 30? 28, 30. Um, I still think they can. But, you know, again, this Pittsburgh defense is very good. Anything else you want to bring up on, on Pitt? No, we'll get into it more uh, in our next podcast. Okay, let's talk about uh, the first leg of, of our road trip. So we, we went up to Clemson, but on the way, we stopped um, in Valdosta, Georgia for the Winter, Wintersville Classic, um, which is an annual rivalry game between Lowndes and Valdosta High. David, me and you have like circled this like a month ago when the eight, yeah. or was it two months ago when the ACC uh, changed the schedule because. We thought it'd be Jake Garcia versus Jacurry Brown. Jacurry Brown's a 2022 quarterback uh, who Miami has offered and is in on. And obviously Thomas Davis, 
the edge rusher that's committed to Miami who's also playing in this game. So we thought we we're going to see all these guys. Well, Jake Garcia didn't play uh, in the game. That's because he's been ruled ineligible by the Georgia High School Association for his move across the country. Um, so we initially, I think we were like on the fence about whether or not we wanted to go. We decided to go. I'm glad we went. It was an yeah. awesome, awesome uh, atmosphere. Not yeah. a lot of social distancing and masks. I mean, you wore masks, but um, <laughs> we were. It was cool. That was my first high school football game in in, in the Peach State. Um, it it exceeded expectations. Uh, mm-hmm. Close game. Uh, Valdosta, or excuse me, Lowndes ended up winning, thirty three to twenty one. Um, really, almost let Valdosta back in that game, but. We got to see Jake Garcia throw on air. Uh, he he warmed up yes, his sir. team. Um, kind of impressive, I guess. I mean, it's just routes on air, but you can tell he's a dude. Yeah, definitely. You know, like you said, routes on air, and you know, he was he was a good teammate too during the game on the sidelines. He made sure to to help coach up the quarterback who was playing for his team, which you like. You want those leadership qualities at that position. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, look, Ja'Curry Brown was was definitely the story of the game. Uh, made plays when it mattered, uh, particularly running the ball. And uh, Thomas Davis, the Miami linebacker commit, you know, he he was okay. He he's still, I think, transitioning to being a player that plays in space. But it's clear, like when he starts moving forward or is attacking as a blitzer, which is what he does best he can definitely make an impact on a game. So, you know, if, if I'm a Miami fan, I want Thomas Davis on third down in that third down package where he's the linebacker lining up um, near the line of scrimmage, playing those cat and mouse games. You know, is he going to blitz? Is he going to drop back to me? He's perfect for that package. So I'm cool with him being in the class. And I think, you know, where he's ranked is more than fair as like a, three-star 87 type yeah now uh and for those unaware davis miami's taking him as an edge rusher so like what you said probably i would imagine is going to start off with the defensive line group but um this senior season they've moved him to middle linebacker and like you said you can tell there's some growing pains when it comes to dropping back in coverage my takeaway with davis is um first opening drive like he had a he smacked someone like you could hear the helmets crack. Yeah. So I like to see that set that tempo. And then he was like a bit of a, a hothead. I know it's a rivalry game, but yeah. um, running his mouth, extracurriculars after the play going to fit right in um, on, on Miami's <laughs> defense. That's like right up their alley. Like I think I, I, I thought he was ejected, um, but his coaches had just taken him out of the game. So he plays a spirited brand yes, of football yes. and he did have a nice sack. Um, I think he finished the game with five tackles and one sack. So I thought he was fine. Yes. Like you said, agree with the 87, you know, he's, he's, he's a plus athlete. And I think like him playing linebacker right now, um, long-term might be the smart move just because he's getting used to having to drop back and, and do all that stuff. I think it's only going to help him um, when he gets to Miami. As for Ja'Curry Brown, I was honestly like stocked down on him after I saw him throw in Jacksonville um, back in June at, at one of those camps, I was like, oh, this is, you know, he's someone who's trying to put way too much tempo on the ball, throw it way too hard, spraying it all over the place. So I, I came in, um, you know, with limited expectations, and I left thinking that he is definitely a top 247 quarterback, ran for uh, 160 yards, had two long touchdown scampers, only attempted 16 passes, completed eight of them. Two of them were for touchdowns, but he's got 15 total touchdowns in five games. More importantly, he's five and oh. Um, yeah. And you know, I, I think the, uh, a Miami fans going to go right now. He's not, he's not that developed as a passer. And look, I, I absolutely get that. I will push back though. Like how developed of a passer was Derek King coming out of high school. I think what Miami likes about Ja'Curry Brown is he's mobile and more importantly, he's a leader. Uh, he's yeah. now, I think he's like 20 and one as a starting quarterback at the high school level. He's just got a good moxie to him. He and, yeah. you know, that's like, 
I, I, I combined, you know, I, I spoke with Jacuri after the game and, and he said, uh, I talked to coach Diaz. Diaz likes how I'm a leader. So I had that in my head. Um, thought that was an interesting comment. And then fast forward to after the Clemson game and how much did Manny bring up in his post-game press conference that everyone on that sideline believes in Derek King and they view him as a leader and, you know, no one was upset or, or pointing the blame. And I think just kind of taking different pit, bits and pieces of what I know and what I've heard personally from Andy Diaz about the quarterback position, like they want a leader. And I think that's the one thing that, that why Ja'Kari Brown can make sense for Miami uh, at some point next cycle. Yeah, I totally agree with all that you just said. And, you know, look, I think Ja'Kari would also be the first to tell you that he knows he needs to continue to get better as a passer. And he is willing to put in the work to get that done. So, you know, to your point about being a leader, he's, he also is a hard worker. He's going to put the work in to improve his passing. And I think too, like, you know, you mentioned, we both saw him in a camp setting. Wasn't, wasn't all that clean um, of a performance from him, but he, he's probably a guy who's just a better thrower in a, in a real game. Right. He's like a gamer. Right. So as, cl- as cliche as that sounds, and I hate when people say that, but like, I do agree. He's just better in games. Right. So, you know, I think, and, and, you know, just my experience with, with seeing high school quarterbacks develop over the years, if guys work at it, they can make significant jumps as passers from year to year to year to year. So, you know, I agree. Ja'Curry still has, has improvements to make as a passer. But I also have seen guys like him make significant improvements from year to year to year. And I think he can be one of those type of guys. Um, Jake Garcia. So I want to kind of just touch on this. I wrote a story on Saturday before the game. Um, basically, Jake told me, can't wait till he gets to USC. Um, says he's talking with those guys, but didn't deny the fact that he is still hearing from some other schools wouldn't tell me which schools that was or which schools that you know he's speaking with just just called it the ACC and the SEC and I then brought up Miami uh he talked about Rhett Lashley how he hears from Rhett Lashley how he likes what he's seen out of Rhett Lashley's offense I mean this was before the Clemson game Um, maybe his opinions changed probably not um you know I think kids understand that you're playing a very good program. Also highlighted how good uh, Derek King's been and how electric he has been in, in Miami's offense. And then he mentioned, you know, he's familiar with some of the guys um, that are currently committed to Miami, like James Williams, Khalil Brantley, Romello Brinson. Like he's very aware uh, and knows those guys. Um, to be honest, like, you know, I didn't think the ship had sailed for Miami but I, I thought it was kind of trending away in terms of Miami's chances of flipping him from USC. I walked off that field after that, that conversation I had with Jake, and I thought to myself that Miami um, had a better chance than I initially thought of, of pulling it off. And then sure enough, on Sunday, the real kind of interesting development in this whole thing is USC offered another 2021 quarterback. So USC has Jake Garcia committed and Miller Moss committed. They got two quarterbacks in this class. Um, so they they pretty much want to take two. Jake was the, the one that committed first, then Miller Moss committed, uh, and now they've offered another kid. So you can read into that however you want, uh, but just being familiar with the recruiting scene, uh, they're either trying to send a message to Jake Garcia or they are concerned about Jake Garcia potentially going somewhere else. And I think if Jake Garcia were open this, this thing back up, like, you know, Miami would make sense. And that's really the only school we know for a fact he has spoken with. It definitely matters that USC offered a quarterback at another 2021 quarterback recently, but I did see, you know, I'm sure you saw it, the chatter on the boards that, I guess he's a, he's a quarterback that's from Utah, right? Yes. And he might be one of those, like, you know, if he's a Mormon, I don't know if he's a Mormon, but a Mormon mission type of prospect where, 
you know, after high school, he takes two years to go on his mission and then he's good to go at a college program. Uh, yeah. So I, I want to say Tanner McGee is the, uh, is someone who's done that a couple of cycles ago. He was an elite 11 kid. Um, hold on. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, again, bad podcasting. Don't have this kid's name in front of me. His last name's Dart, right? Yeah. Jackson. Yes, it is. It is Jackson Dart. Uh, he played on the ESPN, one of the first ESPN games, um, and threw for like six or seven touchdowns. I featured him on Sports Center, uh, but he's he's picked up a bunch of Pac-12 offers. Uh, I I just think it's notable. And, no, and, it is. And, and the other thing to think remember is, you know, Jake is in Valdosta, Georgia. You know, hanging out, um, eating bojangles, right. and uh, a bunch of USC commits two weeks ago had, had a brunch in LA and, and he wasn't there. So I think that's just something also to kind of think about. And I, I did ask Jake, or I brought up, I was like, well, you, you visited Miami twice and he's quick to chirp back. I, I've, I've visited 20 places. I'm like, okay, I know, but like, it's not like you just call any school and they'll take, you, you know, so certain guys have quarterbacks, but uh, he did mention it is kind of important that he has been to, uh, Miami before I or I should say he didn't mention that he acknowledged that and remember the NCAA's temporary recruiting dead period that's going to extend into January as of now unless things change um, you know maybe there's a vaccine or something crazy like that but uh, most kids aren't going to have a chance to visit anywhere before the early signing period so that's one thing to keep in mind with uh, Jake Garcia. So let me ask you one question to close and then we'll get out of here. So, you know, we talked about this before in a recent podcast, but I want to ask you again, if you're Miami, how long, how much more longer are you going to wait for Jake to, you know, how, how long are you going to wait for Jake? So I think we're taping this October 13th, right? Early signing period is December I think 15th through the 18th or 16th through the 18th. So you got roughly, what is that? Two months, two months. Two months. I think you give yourself one month, right? One okay. month, figure out where you are in one month. Um, I think your play on the field will also dictate how you feel about it. You know, if you lose right. to pit this weekend, I think things are going to get interesting. You come out and you roll pit, nothing changed. You know, the goal right. still didn't right. change for Miami. Uh, they can still make the ACC title game, just a little bit harder now. Um, so I, I go a month. Why do I say a month as well? We're also going to know um, maybe some of these other kids committed to other schools. Maybe those coaches right. are not going to be there in this offseason. And we, we know it's going to be different. Money's tight at a lot of these programs. But you know people are going to get fired, which means that kids are going to have you – know, potentially look around i also think if you wait a month more and more kids will have played in certain states so you're going to have some senior film every year we see a quarterback kind of emerge late and become the hot name i think what chubba purdy was probably the guy last year uh, out of arizona he's committed to louisville ended up signing with florida state like there's going to be one of those guys um so that gives you an option there and um you know like i that's well, the other thing I was going to point out is, look, look, when Miami flipped Jaron Williams, they didn't get involved until like November. So that'd be that same kind of timeline. You know, they didn't get really involved to till November. So that shows that you still have enough time to kind of pull it off. So I think you wait a month and then see where you're at. So we're still preaching patience. Yeah. I always like preach patience. I like it. Okay, David. So what, uh, what do you got coming up on the site? What's, what's. Yeah. Um, so today we get we get some interviews again. Jalen Phillips talking, so that's always a good time. The great Mister Three Hundred Five, as you called him, Gilbert Frierson. I thought. Well, that's Pitbull. what the that, that's Pitbull what the coaches call him. Three Hundred Five, Andrew. Oh, the coaches call him that. Okay, cool. I I've, I haven't told it oh, real quick. I haven't told you the story about where that name comes from. No, you have. He's he's Mister Recruiting Visit, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's where that's where it came from. Okay. <laughs> Right? Is that is that right? He he yeah, hosts all these guys on visit. Yeah. Yeah, like two takes guys out and has a good time, right? 
Yeah, yeah, that's what the staff calls him, Mr. 305. So, yeah, plenty of stuff. You know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I'm closing the book on Clemson, looking ahead to Pitt. And, you know, Gabby's out here hitting all these high schools. He's going to have plenty of, of recruiting stuff. He's done a good job, uh, you know, talking to guys. It, it, it probably got lost in the uh, Clemson shuffle, to be honest. But he, uh, he got some good interviews over the weekend. So keep checking out the website, InsideTheU.com. Again, we appreciate everyone for, you know, subscribing to the website. Uh, give us a five-star review if you're feeling it much appreciated and uh you know andrew you'll have the, the pickup challenge set for this week soon too right yeah i just literally try to do it and uh they still haven't changed the games i, I don't know it's crazy but then again like covid keeps canceling games so i, I can't blame right. them but yes it'll be hopefully locked in by wednesday afternoon so keep checking out dime life and their apparel and uh you know we appreciate you guys listening take care all right we'll talk to you guys later